Thank you so much for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or you're simply catching up on a message that you missed, we're so glad that you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you'll experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word Give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for helping with your scripture. As we do, if you're newer to our church, out of respect and honor for God's word, I'm asking you to stand and open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 to 23. I will read the first. Pastor Debbie will read the next, and we'll go back and forth. And please read along with her. Hear the word of the Lord, Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Verse 16. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. God is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Verse 20. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Verse 22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard, when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Let's pray. And I'm asking today, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet Samuel prayed long ago, we pray now, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can have a seat. I got another praise before uh, I begin my, my preaching this morning. We had an incredible concert here this past week with Torrin Wells. Amen. So we're excited about that. I think we had about 1,300 people here. Shout out to our team, Tommy and Renee and all Mike Kozel and all those that pulled this off countless hours for the sake of the gospel. What an incredible time. Your church is on the move. There's things happening all the time, and that is a sure sign that the church is alive and well and the Spirit of God is there. Amen, church? Well, are you ready to get into God's Word? I'm asking you to keep open your, hopefully, your physical Bibles. If you have your uh, phones, you keep them open, but don't go to Facebook. Okay, stay in your scripture. We're in Colossians. We're in chapter 1, and we are going to look for the next uh, four weeks through the book of Colossians. I've entitled this message, or this series, Jesus the Supreme Authority. Jesus the Supreme Authority. Now, we need to understand that most people, whether they believe in Jesus or not, regardless of what they believe, we all know that we serve something. 
whether we serve ourselves or we serve our job or we serve God, but we all serve something. The question of the hour is, who is our supreme authority and who do we serve? Now, we know historically the church hasn't always got that right. We know that Jesus is, as the worship team so did in an incredible way, make that declaration that Jesus is our supreme leader of the church. As we know, the church hasn't always got that right. There are a lot of examples of where we've missed it. But when the church gets it right, and when Jesus truly is the authority of the church, I want you to see, understand that there are six marks of a church. What makes up a church? This is just extra today, but when Jesus is the supreme authority of the church, the first thing that marks up the church or marks the church is this. There's transformed people in the church. Is that good news? Transformed people. What do I mean by that? People who once were lost and found Jesus and they were tra transformed from the inside out. We know that in the book of Acts, Peter preached and immediately thousands came to Christ. But it isn't just for transformed people, is it? It's the churches for all peoples. Transform and those trying to figure out life in their moment. Agreed? We know that even, I think it was in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul's talking about this and it's implied here. He's talking and teaching to the church about the issue of tongues and, and the issue about uh, um, prophecy. And he's, he's explaining it all and he says it in the context. Make sure you get this right so that all the people who are unbelievers come in will understand. The implied is this. The church is marked by people who are transformed and people who are on a search for God. Can I get an amen? May KCC, may KCC always be a church that is marked by people that are all welcome from all stages of life. Amen, church? The church also, when they have Jesus as the supreme authority, not only are a group of transformed people, but it has a, an organized, qualified leadership. I know that in many forms and fashions, we don't like to have hierarchy, we don't like to have elders, but the reality is if you have any organization, you have to have somebody to lead, and the church is, no, uh, exempt, is not exempt from this, and the church that gets it have elders' roles, teachings' roles, spiritual gifts' roles. Now, why am I saying all this to you? It's really important in today's world where we don't really understand what is a church, and why does the church exist? That's why I'm giving it to you. When Jesus is supreme authority, we have a group of believers that are led by people. And then the third mark of a church is they gather together for worship and the preaching of God's word. The preaching of God's word is not a new invention. Did you know that? All the way back to the very first, very beginning, there have been people that were preaching the word. So you sitting here, those of you online that are watching and viewing in, we are practicing a mark of a church that we come together and worship corporately. Can you worship by yourself? Absolutely. Can you read scripture by yourself? You better. But coming together as one is a huge, huge benefit for all of us. So these are marks of a church. The church also operates and functions in the sacraments of the church. Children dedication, baptism, communion. The church only is the one that can bring this together. The church also is, what marks the church number five is the church is unified spiritually and has authentic community and fellowship. And I've been preaching that for months on end, that we are going to need one another like we have never needed one another. Jesus prayed that we would become one in John 17. All races and all ec economic groups and all um, different uh, um, age brackets and everything come together in the name of Jesus. We need that like, like we've never needed it before. Can I get an amen? amen? With those five marks gives us the last one, and that is this, why we exist. The church exists, the last mark, 
to finish the mission of Jesus. Does it get any more complicated than that? And what was Jesus' words? Go out and what? Make disciples of all nations. That's why the church still exists. That's why Jesus has not come back. Little insight. You were not created to live happily ever after. You were created and are living in this moment, in this season, to be a part of God's plan to finish the mission of Jesus. Am I the only one in the place that's excited that I get to be a part of the mission of Jesus Christ today? We know that from this, when Jesus is the supreme authority, this is truly the mark of a church. But yet, this church that Paul's writing to in, in the city of Colossae was under attack. And the mark of a church was going to get wiped out. They were attacked by a philosophy called Gnosticism. And I've talked about that over and over again because many churches in the first century were dealing with this philosophy. Gnostic means knowledge. And for, to them and to this group of people, knowledge was more important than faith. And they had this incredible thought of thinking that all that is physical, all matter is evil, and the only thing that is good is spirit. Well, how does that play out? Simple. You can do whatever you want because it doesn't matter. You can be spiritual and live like hell. It doesn't really matter because the flesh doesn't matter and it's evil anyways. The only thing that is good is spirit. Continue down that line. If, the, if you believe that philosophy, then Jesus was never in flesh form. He was not human. Then you deconstruct the gospel as we know it. So this first century church, they were underneath it. They only looked at Jesus a little higher than an angel. Scary stuff that would have destroyed the first century church. Now, we've already talked, and I invite you out on Wednesday nights. We were having an incredible time. Anywhere between 100 and 180 people were going through the book of Hebrews. We've already done chapter 1 where we saw and we taught that Jesus, in fact, is higher than angels. We're getting into God's words and making that clear that he is higher than the angels. Angels are, have an important role, but they are created. He is not created. Can I get an Amen. He has always been, according to this passage that we see happening here, understand that, that he was dealing with this thing called Gnosticism. Now, let me just say this about Gnosticism. Did you know that Gnosticism exists today? We may not call it Gnosticism, but we live in such a world where spiritism is awesome, but then I can do whatever I want. As long as whatever my body, whatever my flesh, whatever my desires scream at, then I must fulfill that. That's why we have a problem with this whole thing called sexuality because that's what my body, that's what my flesh says, so I've got to, I've got to dive into that. It's a modern view of Gnosticism today. We have to come back and see who Jesus is in order to understand where this is at. And so today what I'd like to do as we look at this, I want us to understand and figure out the one thing that this book does is it declares that Jesus is in fact supreme authority. But the second thing that you will see that this book does over the next several weeks is it clarifies our identity. Our identity. We talked about that yesterday in men's Bible study on Saturday morning. How much we struggle with our identity. How one moment we got it, and the next moment we're over here. How many of you, like me, have this thing called, anybody else, insecurity? Come on now. Am I the only one that sometimes struggles with it? And does it surprise you? In the craziest moments, come on now, in the craziest moments, you will say something. You will, I should say, I will say something. I will do something. And I will walk away from that situation and say, what just happened? Come on, is, any, is, this, is, this, is this too deep for anybody here? We have to come to grips with who we are first 
And if we don't get that figured out, we will be like chasing after the wave of the sea, trying to lasso the wind of the air, and it's simply not possible. We gotta figure out, it's more than saying my identity is in Christ. There's a whole lot more than that. It's that it actually resonates in my heart. And I'll say to the young adults, when I was your age, I really struggled with it. Hopefully the older I get, the better I'm able to understand who I truly am, which then frees me up to be what Christ wants me to be. Can I get an amen? Amen. So today in chapter one, as I give you some points, if you've been in the church, you'd be like, heard that, been there. But my prayer has been this. For many of us in the church, we don't live as though this is the truth. We may acknowledge it in a worship service. You may even say amen. You may even nod your head or rest in Jesus, whichever you're at right now. But I'm asking and been praying this week that it becomes more than just this intellectual assent, that it truly is something that's in your heart, that you truly understand what we're talking about and it impacts every moment of your life. I'm not naive. I understand that in a crowd this side and those online, some of you are really going through it. And what I'm about to share with you If in fact this has hit your heart, it is going to be the strength that will enable you to get through whatever it is that is screaming at you this very moment. It's the truth. And I want you to understand, and I've been praying the power of the Spirit upon you that it would be transformed in your heart. So let's jump into it. From this passage, and you got your Bibles open, the first point that I would say how we understand the supremacy of Jesus is this. Number one, Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. Somebody say, show me Jesus. Jesus. Say it again, show me Jesus. Jesus. Now look at verse 15. Clearly says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. There it is right there. We 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 could finish the sermon right there. Who is Jesus? He represents and demonstrates who God is. Many of you may say, I know that Jesus is God. But could you see it? Could you understand it from Scripture? Do you know the verses of Scripture that declare that He is God? We just didn't wake up one day and say, oh, by the way, Jesus is God. Scripture has proclaimed it throughout. Jesus Himself declared, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. Now, the people who He was talking to had a totally different definition, just like today's world. When I preach a word, then half of you have a different definition of what I'm preaching. It is a, may I say, it's a hard day to preach because all of our words mean different things to different people like I've never seen in my 55 years of living. So when he said son of God and Messiah, they were thinking one thing, but he was declaring he is God when he said that. And then in Colossians 1, he says, if you want to know who God is, the invisible God, now you know. Here it is. Here he is. He's amongst you. And Philippians chapter 2 says, Jesus being the very nature, God. Doesn't get any more clear than that, does it? You either accept the scriptures or you don't. And this was pretty <laughs> profound to the people in, the, in Colossae. Pretty incredible moment for Gnostics who said, he isn't God, he isn't even human, he's just spirit that we can somehow pick and choose the things that we like about him. Doesn't that sound like today? How many people that have I seen and talked to who've walked away from the faith, who've deconstructed what they believe as they were raised in the church, and declared in that moment, I am now more free than I ever was when I believed. 
But yet then they take all of these things and say, I believe that I should be kind. I, could, I, I need to love others. I need to be considerate. Where did that come from? Before Jesus, that was unheard of. He was the revolutionary teacher on this. You can't pick and choose what you want with Jesus. But that's what the Gnostics were doing in that moment. That's what we're doing today. And he's declaring, listen, if you can't hear my voice, hear it now. God in the Old Testament, he was distant and he was aloof. And he was through a high priest once a year, right? Now you have access to God. Jesus not only is the visible image of God, he enables you and I to understand that he is now personal. This is really important. He is personal. He's understandable. And he's relational to you, the God of the universe, of the universe, seven billion people, and he knows you this very moment. He knows what's going on in your heart. And he says, you can have relationship with me. The Greek word for visible image literally means he is the perfect representation and the perfect manifestation of God. He did both of those things. He not only represented God, he manifested God. You with me? Now, how did he do that? First is he represented the wisdom of God. He showed us what and how we can live our lives. The entire Old Testament is filled with how we can have wisdom of God. You read Proverbs and we're in Ecclesiastes on men's um, um, study on Saturdays about wisdom and all of this. But wrap wisdom together with knowing God and it changes everything. The beauty is not only did he say he is the wisdom of God to help us through the complexities called life, the book of James says this, any of you lack wisdom? Just ask. How long has it been since you asked for wisdom? You, you complain about it, you talk about it, and you dance around the problem. You go to this person and that person, you read a book about it, you fret and worry about it. Isn't it time that we see the manifestation and the, and the representation of God that says, now just come and ask me and I will give you wisdom. But when you ask, James says, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That individual should not think they will receive anything from the Lord for they are double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So he's saying, I'm ready to give it to you. Anybody here besides me need wisdom? I need it multiple times a day. Anybody else? Good news for y'all, you ready? God doesn't have a quota. Some of you kind of hold back, right? I, I gotta wait for the big one. Come on now, I, I, I can't bother God, he's really busy. I'll just wait when I really, really need him. I can't, I can't believe how often I hear that. I'm like, you have limited God. He can take all of your stuff and everybody's else stuff and order, organize it in a way that is perfectly beautiful. So go and give it, get it from him. He is the visible manifestation of God because he has shown it through wisdom. But here's the part I like. Not only did he uh, do it through his wisdom, but he manifested it by being the logos of God. That's the Greek word for word. Now you got rima and logos. Rima in the New Testament is written word. Logos is the spoken word of God. And we see in these verses, if you're still there, it says in verse 16, he says, everything was from him. Everything was started by him. In other words, we take that, we go to the new uh, Genesis chapter one, in the beginning God spoke. That was Christ Jesus spoke that into existence. He was the Logos speaking into our situation. 
Pretty powerful. Now you're like, well, what does that theological truth have to do with me? Everything. And it is this, friends. He spoke your life into existence. He spoke you where you are right now. He spoke you into existence. Where you think, well, that was between my mom and my dad. God is the one behind all of this. And he spoke your life into existence. You matter that much. The Logos was spoken. It is, the word of God is God breathe. That is an incredible truth that would change my day to day to know that God has called me and spoke my life into a purpose and a reason. Does this make sense to anybody? He was the wisdom. He manifested by the wisdom in the, the spoken word, but he also, he modeled it. He modeled what it looks like to, to, to truly live our lives, did he not? I remember when I first came to Christ, didn't know the Bible at all, and I read 1 John 2, 6. My first verse I ever read, believe it or not, and I read it in the Living Translation, and it says this. If you call yourself a Christian, you must live like Jesus. I was like, I like simple truth. So I had to figure out how did Jesus live? I didn't know how Jesus lived. So I started reading the red letters. Anybody have a book, have the Bible with the red letters? And I started reading the red letters and all of a sudden I realized he represented, this is how you deal with hate. This is how you deal with enemies. This is how you deal with compassion. This is how you deal with the oppressed. This is how you deal with anxiety. This is how you deal with sickness. This is how you deal with the demonic. This is how you deal with surrender. And he started modeling it all. So I don't have to guess. The beauty about following Jesus, the, uh, the visible qualities of God, it's not like other religions where it's just kind of this vague, figure it out. It's right before you. And here's the beauty is that it's obtainable. It's not like a carrot being drug in front of you that you can never obtain it. And some people teach that, unfortunately. We have the best message of the world. You can be victorious. I hope you know that. You don't have to wait till heaven. You can't always trying to get the carrot and never get it. He puts the carrot right on your plate and said, it is yours. It's for all of you. This is truth for us today. Jesus, he's saying to the church in Colossae and he's saying to KCC in 2021, I am the visible representation of God. I manifest it. I represent him through my wisdom, through my life, and through my spoken word. Now, let that change your life. If in fact he is God, the second person of the Trinity, 100% man, 100% God at the same time, then in fact I must bow my knee and declare your way, not my way. Not only in the big issues of life, but in the small. Now, if you don't get anything else today, that is worth coming to church for if it comes from here into your heart. So whatever it is you're facing, you come back and say, you are God, do your thing. I can't, you can. It's a game changer. It's a game changer, folks. Am I the only one excited about this truth today? If in fact he is the visible image of God, the second thing we see, my second point then, the second conclusion is this, Jesus is the connector of all things. Somebody say, connection. Say it again, connection. Go back to verse 15, second part. He says, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And is supreme above all creation. 
Many of your translations will use firstborn of all creations. The New Living Translation used the word supreme because in the English language, we don't understand. There are different ways you can use the term firstborn. And there are cults out there that will take scripture like this and say, see, Jesus was created the firstborn among all of us. That's not what that means. In that context, firstborn literally means as the New Living Translation translated, he is superior, he is position of title. He is the first among us that we must follow him. If in fact he is this, even creation, he says here in verse 15, submits to him. Did you know that? It's creation, well, all the Psalms tell us, creation, sing his praises. How many of you have been out and about when you see the glory of our nature and thank God for the, how it praises him? You with me? But here's what Romans 8 says. Romans 8 says that creation groans in eager expectation to be delivered. What does that mean? It means that just as you and I were fallen, the earth as we know it is not acting the way it did during the Garden of Eden. So therefore we have earthquakes and famines and hurricanes and tornadoes and wildfires and, and all of these things. But one day it will be as it should be when we go to the new heaven and the new earth. I'm so excited about, I'm excited about every sermon I think is the best sermon of all time, I get it. <laughs> and I know it's not the case when I go home and I ask my wife and she doesn't even remember what I said, I say, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> but I am excited about the fact that, and I'm, I'm getting the look right now, like, oh, I'm gonna get you now. <laughs> I can't, I don't have a filter, God help this, Holy Spirit. But anyways, I'm really excited about the new year where I will Again, we will begin a series. Um, first, we're gonna look at the tough stuff of life that Jesus is in, but then we're gonna look at this thing called the last days and the second coming in heaven. How that relates to us. And is that real, does that actually drive our lives and what we're doing? We understand that today that he is the connector of all creation, is he not? He holds it all together and one day it will be revealed. But the second thing that he's connected to is the church. You look at verse 18, it says he is the head of the church. We haven't made him the head, we haven't made him supreme authority and we pay the consequences. I've said this before and I'll say it again. So often in the church today, we have not truly allowed Jesus to lead us and as a result, we have missed the blessing and the anointing of God. And here's the crazy thing about that across America, we don't even know that we don't have the blessing and the anointing of God. We come in and do church, did church. Well, did the Holy Spirit do something? Because he is the, he, he's not in a quota. He wants to speak to you every, isn't this good? Every single time you come together, he can speak into your situation. Does anybody else believe this? That's when the anointing and the blessing is on. He is the connector for all of us, not just creation, but the church. He is the head. Without him, we're lost. Just like physically speaking, we've seen it happen in churches over and over again. If you don't have a shepherd, what does scripture say? The sheep will scatter. Practically speaking, what I know is when churches get off of what really matters, you know what they end up doing? Fighting amongst themselves. And then leaving over the piddly, stupid things that they, it's all about them. We've been seeing that happen all over America today because Christ is the head, he's the connector. When he's not the connector, we are surely in trouble. He is the beginning of the church. The church began with whom? Him. As I said over and over again, I love the church, remember we talked about that? And I said over and over again, I love the church because you're the church. And I love the church because he says, he 
and I and you and I, we and him, we will get married one day at the new heaven and new earth. We're his bride. An incredible thing that is so exciting. He holds us all together. Then he says in these verses, he is the firstborn. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. Good news. If you had anybody who loves Christ already, go to sleep in Christ. Anybody have people who've passed on who love Jesus? Yeah, raise your hand if you've known somebody. The vast majority of us. Here's good news, you ready? Christ rose from the dead, it says. And as a result, all those who follow him, they're gonna rise too. He rose, he's like, I'm, I already did it. I've already shown you I've conquered death. And when I return, guess what? I'm gonna bring all of your loved ones with me and we're gonna celebrate. You think I'm getting excited now. There'll be a celebration like you have never seen. We will see the most shy, subtle, laid back person jump in. When you see Christ coming and the sky split and the trumpet call and the dead in Christ coming, man, like, I'm already getting on the heaven series. It'll be a good series, good series. But I'm here to declare to you, he connects it all together. We have to make the decision, is he truly the connector of all things? He either is supreme authority or he is not. But we're kind of schizophrenic in how we act as a church. We have our moments when he is, we have moments when he's not. We put him in our silos and kind of get him all night neatly packaged and it simply doesn't work. He has to be engaged with all of your stuff. He already knows it anyways. And he wants to engage you and connect all the dots. Now, let me just say this. About this point is simply this. We have to disconnect in order to connect. Do you hear me? We have to disconnect in order to connect. Some of you need to disconnect. I'll say it again. Some of y'all need to disconnect in order to connect. Some of y'all need to create a new place for you and Jesus that you connect with him. You need to disconnect from your work. You need to disconnect from relationships for a period to connect with the one that will change you. Remember, you can't give what you don't have. And if you're not connecting with him, the real you will show up. And I don't think there's anybody that's hearing my voice really wants people to see the real you. Is this too deep for anybody here? I'm here to declare to you, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceptive above all, above all ways who can trust it. Mine is the worst of all. So I am trembling before him and saying, oh God, connect with me. Every moment, remember the old hymn, every hour I need thee, every hour I need thee. I don't know the rest of the words, but it was really good when I started it. <laughs> it's a great hymn. Declares what we really need as a people, right? If in fact, number one, he's the visible image of the invisible God, according to Paul, he's also the connector of all things, which in verse, the third point he tells us here is that if those two are true, then the third point is Jesus is the path of reconciliation. Somebody say, do it, Lord. Again, do it, Lord. If you look at 19 and 20, it says, for in God all his fullness were pleased to live in Christ, verse 20, and through him God what? Reconciled what? Everything to himself. He made peace with what? Everything in heaven and on earth. How did he do it? Right there, by the means of what? Christ's blood on the cross. In other words, right here, there's an assumption. Do you get it? 
And the assumption is there's a broken relationship. He doesn't need to be reconciled if there's not a broken relationship. And he's saying you all need to understand the relationship is broke, not only in creation, but with you all. And I said this on Wednesday night, but the problem we have in today's world, when you guys go to the young adults, the biggest challenge you will have in those universities has been Christianity 101, but is now being wiped out. And that is this, that I am sinful and I am born of the seed of Adam and I have a propensity to do evil. And the only way I can truly be who I'm supposed to be is to have the seed of Christ in me. That is being destroyed. To tell somebody that they are lost and that they are, have a propensity towards bad simply is not going over in today's world. Sinful nature is not preachable, but I'm telling you, it is preachable because it's in God's word. He's saying here today that we understand that he came first and foremost to enable us to understand a restored relationship with him. I'm the only one, he said, that can to get this thing right. So it says there in verse 20, I gave my life so that there could be a bridge. Now, God didn't need to change, did he? Usually in a reconciliation, you have to have two people and both sides come and say, I'm sorry. God didn't need to change. Matter of fact, he took the extra step and then took our pace, took our penalty and said, now it's available. Now come over and let's make this right. But you get to choose whether you make it right or not. I wonder in this house and online whether you've made it right with God. May, now, maybe you just talked about it. Maybe you've danced around it. Maybe you brushed up against it. Maybe you have religion, and maybe you have a denomination, and maybe you have tradition. But I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about the freedom that comes when in the core of who I am has been reconciled with God the Father through Jesus Christ that I can't begin to put into words. But all I know, just like when we prayed over Sarah, that it so changes us. It doesn't matter. All of our stories are different, but we will be so motivated because of what has happened inside of us. Isn't that good? He's declared that this is for us. Now, here's how I want to explain it. Once this occurs and I can have a relationship with God, because of who Jesus is, the supreme authority. The next thing that happens is, I now can be reconciled with me. Some of you are sitting here today and you live in guilt and shame. I'll say it again, guilt and shame. And you continue to be in this cycle and it's about to destroy you. When this happens, this can be, this can occur and you can be forgiven and you can reconcile to your past and your present. He says as far as the east is from the west, which means it's never ending. That's how far he will remove our transgressions from us. And though you were red like crimson, you will be white as snow. You, the truth of the matter is, once this occurs, he says, I will reconcile everything. I'm gonna reconcile you that you can forgive yourself. Don't tell me that you've been forgiven by Jesus and you walk around as though somehow you aren't victorious. Either you got the wrong gospel or you're totally I'm confused, but at the end of the day, a five-year-old can understand it. I have been forgiven, therefore I can forgive me. Is this good? But it doesn't stop there, I'm sorry. You want real proof that reconciliation has all happened? This happens, and then this happens. Uh-oh, and then this can happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, he says, and now I've given you all the ministry of reconciliation. I don't wanna go there, Lord. I'll love you, but not that person. I'm not gonna forgive them. I'm not gonna reconcile with them. If you only knew, well, he already does. 
And here's what some will say to me. Well, mate, there's some situations where we cannot reconcile, that is true. There are certain situations where it has to have two parties, but you can surely forgive and be, be able to move on, can you not? And the beauty of it is there are hopefully more situations that we are willing to give an opportunity to that if we truly take the spirit of humility, whatever your situation is, that God will then enable you to be an extension of him to the person that needs to be, um, have that grace given to them. If we're gonna win the world for Jesus, it's really here. It is here. Because we're really good at screwing up and we're really good at hurting one another. Did you hear me? We're really good at that. That's why pastors are totally resigning at an epic rate today. Right now, Christianity Today said that 30% are considering quitting. That's one third of our churches. And their number one reason is Christians are just mean. Spoken from the mouth of a horse that's basically telling you the truth. But if I have got this, and I've got this, then I'll have the capacity to deal with this. But if I don't have this, and I don't forgive this, guess what? I carry it around into every relationship. And I think the next relationship will help me. And all you do is you just extend your same hurt and pain to somebody else. Is this not true? He wants us to be reconciled with him to ourselves, and the proof of it is simple, then we will have the capacity to forgive and reconcile with others when all possible. And you've known all of this. Well, the question is, what are you gonna do with it? Because you all are dealing with something in your life, and it may not be Gnosticism like Paul is doing in first, um, Colossians chapter one, but he's saying to you, if I am truly the visible image of God, let me do my thing. Let me connect all the dots for you because you can't do it. Connect with me and then let the reconciliation happen. We're in the middle of a situation that the word reconciliation is massively uh, important in a world where we're not just in the church but in society where we're destroying one another, are we not? May God give us the ability to truly be different because of the supernatural here. Does this make sense to anybody? Once this occurs, it will make all the difference in the world. So I call you today to surrender whatever it is that you are dealing with in your life. Begin to connect in ways that you haven't been connecting. Pray for opportunities to truly reconcile. These are my steps for you. And oh, by the way, why don't you read Colossians this week along with our Bible reading over the next weeks to catch up with us. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would I've already prayed, but I ask again, pray that you would speak because your servants have been listening. And I pray that you would have your way with each and every one of us. I pray that your power and spirit would be real in the situation in which we find ourselves today. That you powerfully would um, give us all that we need. I'm so grateful for your love and the way you continue to serve us and the way you continue to be faithful to us. Truly speak and don't allow these words to go away but allow them to truly speak into the hearts of those that are here. With every head bowed and every eye closed, with, as Brant plays, if there's anybody here that would just by a raise of hand, you would say, uh, Pastor, would you pray for me? Uh, uh, the Spirit spoke to me about something. It may not even be anything that I preached about, but I, need, I, know, I know I need to do something with what I've heard. I just need you to pray. Would you raise your hand? I'm not gonna have you come forward, trust me. All over the place, yes, keep them up. It takes me a while to look all the way around so I can see you. Keep them high. I'm looking. 
I'm seeing. Keep them up as I now pray a blessing on you. Lord, you know these hands. You know these situations. You know every single one. I'm grateful that you are a God that can respond to each situation now. Do that which only you can do. Powerfully give us what we need. We acknowledge we can't, but you can. So would you truly enable us to be everything you want us to be? We give it to you right now. In Jesus' name.